Quinn, how do I stop? Please stop. Unsubscribe. Contacting me. <laughs> Just right. Unsubscribe. It's like every day I get an email and I'm like, eh. an email and a text. It's I get both. too much. Anyone who's anyone is everyone. Is everyone. And that's what I want to say. Thank God you said it. I mean, I was going to say it, but I'm really glad you said but it. But I said it first. <laughs> Just know I said it first. Where did you order these swim suits from? Sea folly. Because I'm a fucking sea follicle. <laughs> sea follicle. Wait a minute. Sea that's folly? my folly. Where's sea folly? Is this an Instagram ad? No, 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 no. I think I first heard of them from like Anthropology carries some of their brand, their suits. Um I feel like they're are like they, a, Are you rocking one-piece tankinis, bikinis? Every single kind for every single woman. And I, I love that. ordered a bunch because I am, I have like this trip not coming up, but in July. The trip that, that I'm going on with you? Yes. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've heard pre, of it. This is... I'm coming for two, three nights, two nights. We might have to record. We, we definitely have- will. Basically, I have so much anxiety surrounding having to wear a swimsuit Mm. for that one week that I feel like I just need to keep all my options wide open. And I would spend any amount of money, to be clear, on a swimsuit that didn't make me feel suicidal. (laughs) Trigger warning. (laughs) Trigger warning. I'm sorry, but I'm being honest. You know, here's my deal. I want to just remind everyone... That their body is already swimsuit ready. I want to just give a disclaimer. To be clear. clear, If we didn't already say so, your body is a wonderland. You're beautiful. It's true. I am beautiful. I'm just trying to think of every song that praises your body. You're a firework. Don't you know that you're toxic? (laughs) Don't you know your, your body image is toxic? So seriously, though, your body is beautiful, period. Swimsuits, but swimsuits are notorious for being assholes. I'm not trying to say, listen, I'm not, I, Also, social media, get off of it. Oh. Get off well, of it. agree. Agree. We are at a time where there is innovation in swimsuit technology. Me, listen, I got... You know what? I'm having a bad body day, bad body week, bad body... But, but you know what? I said this once and I'll say it fucking before. This body got me through a global pandemic. Thank you, body. That body that you are wearing currently, um, sponsored by two kids. You had two fucking beautiful children with that hot bod. Let's fucking own that. You and nobody looks like they do online because there's filters. There's camera angles. My mom took a picture and added it to a family album. And I looked at it and I said, do I have reverse body dysmorphia? Do I think I look better than I actually do in real life? That's And then there's times where I'm like, I look way worse than I do. In, like, it's no, I never have a, here's the, here's what I want to admit. This is actually me plugging. This is ad is sponsored by my new company. My new company is to scan a body and mm-hmm. find art and paintings of similar size. Oh, I like that. Because I find like when I go into museums with these old biddies in marble from like way back yonder, mm-hmm. they got <laughs> curves in all the right places. They got rolls. They got fucking, they're beautiful, delicate women. And they are not like showing hip bone. And they're mm-hmm. beautiful. Like, I would love for women to see ourselves reflected in art. And maybe it's not contemporary art. Maybe our bodies aren't represented on TV and film. But you got to know that at some point in history, your body was molded out of fucking marble. Was painted by a fucking master artist. Like, our bodies, the only thing that changes is time's perception. But at one, at, at in history, your body has been beautiful. So why can't we just carry that into today? Well, I'm going to get a haircut <laughs> today. You just ignored all I said. Did was what I said make sense? Yes. I really like it. Really? Um, okay. So it's a new business. But, so it's called... Um... Do you want to play a game? 
No. It's called the tiniest smile. Ready? Okay. Try to do oh, the tiniest fuck. smile you can. This is the same. Ready? Name. No, you got a neutral face no, first. No, I know. You stop yelling. <laughs> it's really hard, right? For a for an audible audio. Okay. You're neutral. I just did it. You that was it. T- it was so tiny. You're very good at this. Thank you. Well, here's my the other game, by the way, if you're playing at home, dear readers, mm-hmm. is skip without smiling. It's impossible. And to tell kids if your kids are annoying <laughs> like you. A serious face. Yep, like serious that's really face good. Face. I do it with kids all the time and they can never do it. And it's they try so hard and it's really cute. Okay, ready? So ready? Serious a small smile. I That's did it. really hard. I That's did it. Did so, you see yeah, it? Yeah, it was good. It was good. So I had a blast going out of town uh, for the first yeah. time. We went hiking. We uh, made a, we we made food. Lies. I <laughs> ate a lot of food. We played some really fun games. There's a game I think you'd like called Arrogance that is very hmm. funny. Where um, oh, you'd have a blast. I love it's games. Like, the idea would be somebody looks at a card that says things like kind you know breeds of horse or things that are green or uh, famous detectives you don't see their card and they say out loud i think i can do five and the person next to them who does not get to see the card of what they're having to name has to go i can do six without seeing it <gasps> Fun. and then you can say okay do six or you can say all right i'll do six and it goes back to you and anyway it's basically to see who in the group is like you know, mindlessly cocky, essentially, in guessing that they would be able to name more things so than you without like, even knowing what the thing is. It's like a betting poker. That but I like, know more than it's, you it's and like you don't even bluffing. know what the fucking subject is. It's I hysterical. love that. We had a blast. And then I got bit by a tick. <gasps> mm-hmm. I We were hanging out. This is so funny. We're Quinn. hanging out by a fire playing this game. And I went for a little walk in the woods with Adam. I took a weed gummy, which I haven't had a uh, weed gummy since um New Year's Eve. So I took the weed gummy. As it's kicking in, we go inside the house and I feel the back of my neck and there's a bump on it. And I'm like, what is this? And I pull, I pulled a tick out the back of my neck. Look at it. The weed gummy kicks in. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? So That's flash forward so scary. to I don't do anything about it. I like took a picture of the tick, took a picture of the bite. And then spoke to a doctor like five, six days later. And they were like, it's too late. You would have to have taken antibiotics within 72 hours. So she's like, it's kind of a waiting game now. And I'm like, well, you, you know ne- what? You never Terrific. had pelts. Like you didn't have rank. So with tick bites and stuff like mm-hmm. that is you can get bitten by a tick. Mm-hmm. And then like um, hold for baby. And then you have like almost like a bullseye bullseye yeah, yeah. all over your well, body well wait we'll see but Lyme disease could be in my future dear oh. readers if you have it reach out to me and tell me um, what I'm in for in if the you meantime if you buy a tick are you supposed to see a doctor immediately I don't know I don't fucking know obviously I'm the wrong you don't guy have like ask. itchy you don't have if you never had a fever no I'm no so far okay. so good so that's good and it's been like a week and you're a half you're listening to Truly Darkly Cleeply Whisp Starring, featuring the blonde, the buxom, the beautiful, the brainy, Quinlan Pasma. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, let's thank them some um potatoes. <gasps> let's thank some potatoes. First, there's the Idaho. Then there's the Fingerling. Then, then there's, there's the purple Russet. potatoes. What? What? Is there an heirloom potato? Oh, sure, there must be. Let's think, Kelsey. <laughs> there must be. Kelsey, Kelsey, you are the bestie of us, our Patreon. Kelsey, Kelsey, you were rocking the Chelsea. Your not name is Chelsea, it's a Kelsey with the K. Kelsey, what the hell's he? Kelsey, Kelsey. That was good. <laughs> We're really leaving it all on the floor, folks. Maureen, 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 Maureen. Please join Patreon just because you, you can. can. And you did. April, come she will to Patreon, Patreoning. 
It's good. <laughs> You're doing like Scott Stapp throat singing. April, April, with April's arms wide open. Let's do stories. Is that all? Yeah. Are we caught up? Yeah. I'm nervous. My story's long, so I'm like, let's begin. Okay, I just want to say something really quickly. Oh, please say it all. Hey, Patreon. Hey. We really love you. We fucking love your heart and your body. Thank you for supporting us. We love you. Okay. Moving on. (laughs) Moving on. Who's first? Who's on second? Who's (laughs) happy Mother's Day? Oh, my gosh. That video of Ko is good. Um, It's 128, so you are first. Good. Great. Lots of stuff to say. Um... (laughs) Guys, you this okay? is the story <laughs> of Darlie Router. Oh, shit. Is that how you say her name? <laughs> Fuck. I do have to actually look this up. That's hard to say, though. Is I don't it? love it. Rue Tears. All right, here we go. Imagine RuPaul, but tears. Okay. Rue Tears. Rue Tears. All right. <laughs> My story is about Darlie Routier. There is a bunch of stuff. There's Texas... <laughs> I'm so sorry. I got to get my act together. Okay. (laughs) I'm doing the story. There's a bunch of stuff. So why? Great. Jump on in. The water's great. Dallas news. My plain view news. Um, Oh, there's a bunch of sources. um, Sources. (laughs) There's a statement analysis of a 911 call that I read on Statement Analysis Blogspot. There's Wikipedia. There's so really Texas reputable. Monthly. Oh, the Texas Monthly article was really good. That was by Skip Hollins. Texas Monthly has good articles. I've read. I've used them before. Yeah. They're good. Altoon Mirror, uh, Altoona Mirror, and Unsolved Mysteries. Look, there's just a, there's a lot. Of sources, you went for I prefer it. to not name them all. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Honestly, it does if it was get you, to a point. you're in there. If, if you, you wrote, wrote about, this, about this, I we read talk, it. We read it. Um, so Darlie moved to Lubbock. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a teenager. Or did I get a ticket there once? Mm, in Texas? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I wasn't there. Yeah, you were. She was 15 and she meets a 17-year-old uh, named Darren, Darlie and Darren, at the Western Sizzlin because he's a cook there. Oh. Mm-hmm. And they get married just four years later. So super young. She's... 19, he's Yeah, but four years of a relationship. That's a good amount of time. Yeah, totally. They start having babies also pretty fast, and they end up having three sons together. You're not going to like what they did with that, which is to say. Yes. Darlie and and Darren named their kids Aldi names. They moved to Dallas because they (laughs) have to get out of the L, you know. They got to move somewhere that starts with a D. So they moved to Dallas. He starts a company there that tests electronics, and he starts making a really good amount of money. And it's the early 90s. So they buy a house, which at the time is like $130,000, which is crazy to think that that was that a thing. That is insane. Right? And it's a nice house. And they, like, are young and have money. So they do what I picture young people that have money do, and they're like, let's get a fountain. Let's get a Jaguar. Let's get a boat. Let's yeah. put it all marble in the house. Um, yeah. A lot of tricking it out kind of stuff. Like, oh, Darlie bought a really expensive, like, almost a $1,000 tombstone for her cat, I think. When what? When was this? What year is this? Early 90s. Right, right. I mean, Pimp My Ride hasn't come out yet, but, like, we're pimping out places. They're wearing lots of, like, diamonds, both of them, and gold. They're like, we're rich. Wow. Good for them. She gets a boob job. She gets a tan. She gets like a tiny dog she carries around. She's like, look, she's dressing the part of rich lady. So if she was on, if they, okay, if the Real Housewives of Dallas was to open, she would be on it. Oh, a hundred. In the 90s. And we would have loved her. We would have loved her. Because also my understanding of, of kind of their place 
in their neighborhood in their uh society yeah they're really nice like they Ugh, love they're really really nice to neighbors they're really generous they're they were the out king for size people. candy bar family yes Thank you. For sure. At Halloween, okay. you, yeah, they were not gotcha. chintzy. And they were like, they got like a cool gaming system. Kids would come over to their house to play. Um, their kids are, Drake is a baby. And then just a year apart, toddlers are Damon and Devin. And in 1996, though, the business starts to not do as well. Mm. And they get a little bit worried about money, maybe a little bit in debt. And Darren, the dad, starts a second business. You're going to love this business. The name of the business is Champagne Wishes. And And Caviar Dreams. He would take people out on a lake in the boat that they had bought at sunset and give them champagne. And then if they wanted, they could use the boat's bedroom. (laughs) Stop. I can't stop. It's so. Stop. I I love it. I think it's genius. I think it's. Stop. I would not want to clean that, though. Like, the amount... But good for him. Like, he has this boat, and he's trying to justify it, and he is, like, makes this business. Just like, it's like a boning boat. I was like, yes. the it, he, That was going to be a second choice name. Boning boat. with Champagne Wishes, but it was almost boning boat. Ay, ay, ay. All right. Get ready. Things are going to get... Um, oh, God. So it's May, early May of 96. And Darlie, I think, did have postpartum. I'm not totally sure which kid that took place with or if it happened with all three. But she does go through bouts of depression sometimes. And in early May, she ends up writing in her journal, I hope that one day you will forgive me for what I am about to do. My life has been such a hard fight for a long time, and I just can't find the strength to keep fighting anymore. She admits that what she was writing about, she was going to OD on pills. Okay. She ends up not doing that at all. Um, and she starts to feel much better and do better uh, emotionally. But this is just important to note because I think that later on, given what will happen, they look at this journal entry and they try to sort of amplify it. Okay. Okay. Because a month later is when tragedy strikes this family. What happens is that Darren, oh my God, there's so many Ds. It's a lot of Ds. Well, you're, guess what? So Darlie's sister is, of course, Dana. So Darren and Dana come home. They both work at the shop. And the kids are playing with the neighbors. Darlie's cooking dinner. They all come in. The whole family has dinner together, and they talk about how the business is doing better, and they feel really happy. Um, They watch some TV. The dad, Darren, drives the aunt, Dana, home. Um, While that's happening, the the two uh, older boys want to watch TV in the living room. They get out all these blankets. They're all sitting together in the living room. Darlie makes popcorn for everyone. Darren gets home. Adorable. Everyone's watching TV together. And then the boys fall asleep kind of like on the floor. And Darren takes the baby Drake upstairs, puts the baby to bed. Now it's just the parents that are awake. And they kind of have this chat. How are you doing? A check-in with each other. Um, Darlie's like, you know, I'm actually, I'm a little depressed because we only have one car right now. And it means that when you're at work, I can't like take the kids anywhere. And they have a, a talk about that. From what I understand, it was a loving conversation. Darren is like, do you want me to sleep down here with you guys? Darlie's like, no, I'm going to stay up a little while and watch TV. I'm going to sleep down here. She sometimes slept downstairs because when she slept in their bedroom, the baby's crib is in there and just the baby moving at night would wake her up, which I totally understand because I think you have, it's not that noise is loud. No, it's like a mom sense thing where you're like programmed to to just like respond to respond to anything. So he ends up going to bed upstairs with the baby. She ends up going to bed downstairs with the two uh, older boys. And this is around like 1230 or one that they separate. At 2.30 that morning, 911 gets a call from Darlie. This 911 call, I read pages of analysis on because they pick apart everything that happens during this call. I'm going to get into that in a minute, but what I want to tell you is just from her perspective, what she says happened. She woke up 
and felt pressure on her and felt Damon at her right hearing him cry, mommy. And she starts to wake up and realizes that there's a man in the house and she runs after him, hears glass break, runs toward a utility room, realizes there's a knife on the ground, realizes there's blood on her. She picks up the knife, tries to, but this guy's gone pretty much. She runs and calls 911, calls Darren. Darren runs downstairs. The kids are lying on the ground, bloody. Darren starts giving Devin CPR. She puts, she puts a towel on herself because she seems to have some wounds. She puts a towel on her son's, Damon's back. She is on the phone with 911 during like a lot of this. Okay. Checking in, talking to her husband, talking to them. She's on the phone like six minutes. It's a really long call. Um, And then at that point, the paramedics and the police do arrive. They arrive very quickly within her calling. What they arrived to find is that Devin was stabbed twice in the chest with incredible force. Like it went through his body. He is dead when they arrive. Damon has been stabbed several times in the back and he will die on the way to the hospital. But he is still breathing when they arrive. Darley has uh, wounds on her forearm, on her shoulder, and her throat has been cut. They discover that there is a screen in the garage that has been cut. So presumably where someone might have entered from. They can't find a guy or guys. It's not clear if there's singular or multiple perpetrators. Darlie tells them she didn't know she was hurt right away and that she saw a man moving and went through the garage after him. And when she went back in after kind of like instantly giving chase to whoever this was that's when she saw her children and that's also when she kind of came to and was like i think i got stabbed and that's when she dialed 911 she tells them um nothing happened to darren or drake who were sleeping on the second floor they were not attacked um and obviously darren says he woke up to his wife screaming and ran downstairs to this scene um she describes the attacker. She can't really remember any details about him. She says he was a white guy, maybe six feet tall. Very little that she can recall. Um, right away, they start suspecting that this is not the case, that there's some sort of fabrication going on. The things that lead them to believe this are right away her story. They're like, wait, somebody stabbed you and your kids, but you woke up. Because somebody said mommy and like that's what woke you. Like you slept through essentially your kids getting Two stabbed stabbings. next to you. How did that happen? Someone broke in and, and you're such a light sleeper. You can't be in a room with this baby. But that didn't wake you up. One of the first officers on the scene um, will say that she didn't seem to like tend to the kids. Even though he told her to. He, she doesn't ride with uh, Damon to the hospital. They said that she was holding a towel to her own neck. So they'll say, like, what was that about? Why were you looking out for yourself and not them? There's all different sorts of stories from the nurses at the hospital. Some of them will report, like, she seemed to have no reaction to these children dying. She was very cold. Um, Other people will say, no, no, no. She had a huge reaction. So I would say there's just inconsistencies across the board as to what people remembered. And maybe some people saw pieces of a reaction and others saw other pieces, right? So right. maybe at one moment she's crying and can't speak and at the other moment she's just in shock. Right. We don't know. Darley tells um, the police that the person who did this ran through the garage to get out, but they can't find any blood in the garage. So they're like, it doesn't feel like anyone was in here. And she grabbed the knife that was used so it has her fingerprints all Not over Not only did she grab the knife, but when she's on the phone in that 911 call, she tells them, I grabbed the knife. And then she says something like, oh, I hope we can still get prints. And people mm. don't like that she's thinking, thinking that, that way, way. Yeah. in this moment with her children dying in front of her. Um, 
their windowsill in the garage has some dust that was undisturbed and there's mulch outside that doesn't look like it was disturbed. So again, it reminds me like a little bit of Jean Benet where they're looking at this window and they're being like, could someone have actually gone through it? Is it staged? There's all kinds of things they'll point to. They'll find broken glass, but they'll see blood under the glass. So it'll look like to them... The glass was staged. It was broken after the fact. And they'll say, oh, and it fell off a thing that it couldn't have fallen off of. And I'm not going to, like, go into point-by-point detail on this stuff because there's actually – it's so dense. There's so much of it. And what you need to know is that her story does change a lot. Okay. She doesn't always know why she woke up, when she woke up. Sometimes she ran in different orders, different places – it's not totally clear. Which could, I mean, just to speak to the benefit of that, is like when you write when you wake up, do you know exactly how you wake Like this morning, I'll be like, I woke up, did I grab my phone? Did I stir? Like, you not just, only I think that. when you wake up in trauma, like for me, if I wake my mom up and I'm like, I'm home, she doesn't remember the next morning. Mm-hmm. I think it's also a situation where there was a thousand things happening in two seconds. Right. Your kids get stabbed. You get stabbed. There's an intruder. They're running. You're running. They're gone. You touched a knife. You you walked and you saw a scene. To have to say that out loud, play by play, right after it's happened, you know the collection of what's happened. And some of it's coming back to you where you're like, and some of it she's going, did I do that? Did I run in the kitchen first or did I just, I think it happened in seconds. Totally. And it felt the amount of adrenaline and confusion during those seconds compounds in this way where I don't I don't think to me it's not indicative of a lie it's indicative of trauma to me okay I mean obviously I'm going to keep trying to present both sides because this is really controversial and you will find two camps yes People talk about motive, not just what would her motive be to do this but also or to lie, an intruder's motive. but what would an intruder's motive be to run into this house and stab these children and this woman and leave? There are no valuables taken. Um, the, they look at a lot of blood pattern stuff in this case. And one of the things they look at is in the kitchen, there's a lot of blood that they say this would have come from someone standing still, not running. And a lot of it is her blood. And they say, did she go into the kitchen and administer these wounds on herself over a sink? Because there's also blood cleaned up that they see from luminol tests of, did she hurt herself in the kitchen, clean it up, and then go out and say, these are my wounds, my superficial wounds that I've caused to myself. Now, one thing in Darlie's favor or to say rather that it wasn't her is that there are numerous violent rapes in that area around the same time that this happened the these rapes when they happened somebody went into a house because it was unlocked and used a knife to assault the person or scare the person that they got out of the house in this case the knife that she grabbed was her knife it was a knife from her kitchen so again, okay. did the assailant come in with n- no, no weapon. weapon and then just hope they were going to run to a kitchen to get one? It's strange on both ends, right? There had been neighbors that said they saw a strange car driving around their area and that it had even slowed down and kind of been um, stopping near Darley's house. Mm-hmm. So that kind of stuff doesn't necessarily get brought up as much as some of the more damning aspects of this case, right? Damning on... It feels like the police decided very early on they didn't like how it looked and that Darley was probably the one behind it. All right, let's talk about the 911 call. This 911 analysis that I read talked about what red flags are and where they flag things in calls and it went through the call so aggressively that I cannot actually like go into the detail that this went into with you but some of the things that stuck out to me were they pick up and say what is your emergency she says someone came here they broke in 
The operator says, ma'am. And she says, they just stabbed me and my children. A lot of people take issue with her telling the story of my most important thing for you to know is that someone came in here. They broke in. Then I want you to know they stabbed me. Then I want you to know they stabbed my children. Instead of saying, saying, my children have been stabbed. Pick up the call and that's what you would say. My kids got, my kids are hurt. My kids have been stabbed. They go again and again how much she says that someone has broken in and that when her husband comes down, they hear her talking to him saying it. And they say it's a red flag to them. The number of times she's trying to explain that someone broke in, it feels like she's really leaning into, I have to have that be the narrative and the story. Right. And that she wouldn't have said it as often or prioritized it in her language. The kids, the kids, the kids should have, you know, that's what they're, that's, yeah. Not only that, but she very quickly starts saying, my babies are dead, stuff like that. And they say that they usually see... We always get in trouble with they usually, but they do say that often mothers are in denial. Right. So they won't move to talking about their children. And one child wasn't dead at the time. That's correct. But they won't move to speaking about their children past tense or saying that they're dead, admitting that. Yeah. A lot of the officers, once again, will testify that she seemed really calm when they got there and... That she didn't follow their instructions about how to put pressure on her kids' wounds. She just was, but a lot of people say, yes, she was screaming on this call. She was in shock. She was not behaving in a way that was, she was not able to organize herself. We don't love what's typically done, you know. We don't like how people react in states of trauma. We don't like adjudicating how people react when something truly unfathomable is happening. Um, I, hearing you so far... It seems pretty confusing and it's a little conflicting. It's so confusing. It's so both. So let me tell you now what ends up happening in the weeks to come. In fact, one week after this happens, Devin was meant to turn seven years old. And Darlie and Darren and the baby and some of their family go to his grave and bring, you know, balloons and stuff to celebrate him. And the news comes and covers this. They film it. And oh. when they're filming it, um, it was with their permission. It wasn't, I don't think it was like, they weren't doing like the paparazzi get out of my face thing. In fact, they were like, we're really like, we're here to celebrate, celebrate our son. Now, Darlie is in this video chewing gum. And she is smiling and laughing and she brought silly string and she sprays silly string all over the grave and sings happy birthday. Apparently there was an earlier component to the ceremony that was more somber where they talk about the loss of their son. That is not what the news leads with. The news shows Darlie laughing, chewing gum and spraying silly string. And it is, Four days later that they're like, we're charging you with murder. And I feel like this. There's a connection. You think that the video. I 100% feel like there's a connection. And when she's asked about her behavior, she says he wanted to be seven. I did the only thing I knew to do to honor him and give him all his wishes because he wasn't here anymore. But how do you know what you're going to do when you lose two children? How do you know how you're going to act? The trial begins. It's uh, January of 1997, and the prosecutors say Darley is materialistic, selfish, um, and that it was all in the name of money. She got nervous about the debt, and she wanted to take these two kids that were going to be a financial debt to her. Oh, no. That... That motive does not. They say it has to have been like life insurance and and this is what she did. Did the kids have life insurance? Yes. $10,000. Their funerals were $14,000. So just to be clear. It's not like she's making. Zero net profit on that. In fact, a loss. I, in more ways than one. The husband was like 80,000. Or 800 But that's not even a lot. That's, I mean, that's. No, I'm sorry. The husband was 800000 
Remember, he's upstairs, not harmed. If this is a woman that only cares about herself and is doing things for money, might have killed the husband, not the $10,000 children, right? Ugh, life insurance on kids scares the fuck out of me. So sad. So at, at the trial, there's a crime scene consultant that comes out and goes, hey, everybody, this was like definitely staged. Here's all these things that I think are weird. There's puncture wounds on her shirt that don't match up with where she was cut. That was just her like making tears in the shirt. Mm. There's blood drops on her back that could only have been from her stabbing and pulling the knife up behind her to do it again. And then the knife dripped blood on her back. You know, they talk about the blood at the kitchen sink that I told you about. And they say that there were some people at the hospital that said these were definitely wounds she could have inflicted upon herself. They found evidence on one of the knives in her kitchen that had a little hint of fiberglass on it. And they said it matched the fiberglass of the screen. So they're saying, we think she went in with this knife and cut the screen. That's how the screen got cut. It's her staging it. Okay. Because if it was cut by someone else, why would they, they wouldn't go back into the kitchen and put that knife away after cutting it. Right. You just drop it on the floor. You know what I mean? Her attorneys are like, "Mm, don't go on the witness stand. And she's like, no, no, I really want to. Like, I got this. And then she gets totally torn up, obviously, by the cross-examination of the prosecutor. Doesn't go great for her. But... The defense has a lot to say. You know, they they have um, a medical examiner that says, hey, you know how you guys are all talking about how these superficial wounds she sustained? The one on her neck was within two millimeters of her carotid artery. Two millimeters. The tiniest bit. So close to being dead. This is not... Did did the medical examiner say that they could be self-inflicted? I don't think that they make... um, I think the idea is, sure, they could be. Are they? She had really horrible bruising on her arms. Really horrible, if you see pictures. They try to say that, like, she did it to herself and did it even days after this to, like, make it... Because the bruising didn't appear right away or something. It's... the. I got to say, the carotid artery thing, I can't get past. Right. I She did not stab herself within millimeters of her carotid artery. She's not a fucking doctor. She didn't go, and this should be safe, or this will be so close, they'll know yeah. that I... It's so dangerous how she was stabbed. There was an unknown fingerprint that was found, a couple of them, um, on like a glass table inside the house and on a windowsill. The biggest thing... Or one of the really big things is that 75 yards away from the house in like an alleyway, they found a bloody sock. And the blood has the two kids' blood on it. <gasps> okay? And it's away from the house. Now, this is really important, but it's a time thing. So pay attention. Damon was alive when the paramedics got there. Right. And they said he only could have survived given his wounds eight minutes after receiving the injuries. That's how close they came. And she was on the call for six minutes. Exactly. So they say, because the prosecution will say, Darlie placed this sock away from the house. It's part of her staging this. It's part of her storytelling. When, When everything is said and done and they block out the time of getting stabbed, her getting stabbed, the 911 call, she would have had about a minute just over a minute and it would have looked like this stab your kids stab yourself don't get blood anywhere outside the home your blood like no blood track grab the sock run it sprint like hell drop it run home get on the phone i mean it's just feels impossible but i'm just um the uh, other camp, I would assume it's like. Wouldn't she have picked closer to the house if it's her doing it? Yeah, but also like if she did the fatal wound and then called, like did the sock first and then. Did... Let me put it to you this way, too. It's hidden in kind of a weird place where they don't find it right away. It's like, you know, a block away near a garbage can. Now, 
if this is meant to exonerate her in her mind, wouldn't she have put it somewhere where they're sure to find it? It's pretty close call that they don't find it at all. Right. And she doesn't call them up and go, well, Check have this you garbage looked? Can. Nobody's doing that. So I'm saying if this is her master plan of how to get exonerated, she'd have really wanted to make sure they find it. And they almost don't. It's right. not anywhere really clear. A psychiatrist interviews her after the attack and says that all this memory stuff is, like we said, it's a result of traumatic amnesia. She can't totally, like, moment for moment. She just woke up. I mean, we've all been in that. When you wake up in a panic. Not just that, but I think defensively as a mother, she doesn't want to remember this at all. There's a thing probably blocking her from remembering a lot of this stuff. There's no eyewitnesses. There's no confession. There's no motive. Okay. During the jury's deliberation, you know what they keep saying? What? Um, can we watch that silly string video again? They watch it seven times. So guess what? She's found guilty. Of course. On February 1st, she's convicted of murdering Damon. She's only convicted of that one murder because they are, this is kind of confusing, I think. But they wanted an option to pursue a second indictment. If they didn't get it. If she... they didn't get the conviction. Right. Totally. She's sentenced to death by lethal injection. <gasps> okay. She is still alive today. Okay. In prison. And is she still maintaining her innocence? She's still maintaining her innocence. In 2001, there was this article I read that was super interesting about her lawyer hiring this PI, Richard Reyna. And he ends up saying... Hey, everybody, Darren, her husband, it turns out when his business was in debt, in order to make money, he got this kind of harebrained idea that he was telling people, I think I want to hire somebody to break into my house and steal a bunch of stuff and just like hold it for me. I do an insurance claim and I actually still get all the stuff back. But that would be like a clever way to make this money to pay a burglar, basically, to break into my house. And he told his stepdad this plan. And his stepdad comes forward later with this information is like, yeah, he told me this was his idea. He'd also had his car stolen in the past so that he could collect insurance money. When they pointed out to Darren, why didn't you tell us about this? It feels like if you told us that you were thinking of doing this and maybe someone heard you were thinking of doing this, this could have been something that would exonerate your wife a little bit. Mm. Right? It's like would have been good for her why aren't you telling us about it? And he said, well, I didn't want to end up with some kind of bullshit charges brought against me either. I don't want to help her at the expense of my life. Strange reaction, right? Till death do us part? (laughs) (laughs) The PI is like, I think after interviewing both of them, maybe Darren maybe even hired somebody to kill her. And that she was threatening divorce and that this was all his doing. He didn't mean for the kids to get killed, but that happened. I don't, that's, that to me is it sounds like a bridge you believe, too far. It sounds like you believe she is innocent. I, I think I do. I think I do. Yeah. We're about to find out if she is in the sense that, okay, all the defense attorneys are like, there was so many errors in the trial, including what's the woman that, stenographer. Oh my God. I don't know what this stenographer's fucking deal was. 33,000 errors in the transcript. It felt like the stenographer was like writing was like that, what, their you know own was, version you of... What was the stenographer? Do you remember there was that <gasps> scandal about the ASL translator for like these press conferences was actually not doing any sign language, just like a fraud. Do you mm-hmm. remember this? Yeah. I think the stenographer was of the same elk. Like, the I stenographer think the stenographer was, was just like were a the fake. same person. Just it's being like, just, beep, 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 beep. I mean, they were definitely fined and fired, but like, they went back and looked and it was like, it's really screwy, like, completely off. And there were all kinds of things that, that they could name that went wrong in the trial. So the appeals court dismisses it, though. But then in 2008, she got granted the right to new DNA tests. And in 2011, she and Darren get divorced. That he says, this is just like, we we're sad about it. We're both sad. It's mutual. I still believe in her innocence. In 2014, the judge grants a request for DNA tests that they say are vital for the defense to be performed. 
mm-hmm. specifically for a fingerprint they want to look at, the bloody sock they want to look at, her nightshirt, and um, what I'm the only thing I'm confused by is I read over and over again that there were new tests being granted, and I'm not sure why every year I'd look at an update and it'd be like they've like I don't understand the minutia mm-hmm. of like this court granted it. But then this judge granted it. And then this other court granted it. All I can tell you is that in 2018, four years after that, it said that the criminal district court ordered the third round of DNA tests. So I don't know what the fucking holdup is. DNA testing is insane. But it's just, I'm like, you didn't test this. Why wouldn't that have happened is what I... Well, the 90s, I guess there probably is new technology. That that's like, true. That's true. I th- in 2002, that's when Skip Collinsworth wrote that article for the Texas Monthly. And he said that she's 32 now. She's in prison. She works out like a fucking lunatic. She reads Harry Potter all the time so that she can uh, talk to Drake about it. Her Her surviving son. son. She cross-stitches baby blankets as her job there for the, um, that gets sold to like the prison employees. (sighs) Looking at what's happened today, recent analysis found that that fingerprint left on the glass did not belong to anybody that they know of. Like, none of the family, none of the people that reported to the house that night. This past April, in 2022, the Innocence Project took up her case. Yes, and they got court approval for some testing to be done on things that they say have never been tested with this new technology before. The sock that was far away from the house, hairs from that sock, her shirt, blankets, pillowcases clothes from her and her kids, fingernail clippings from the kids, the knife, hairs that were on the knife, a bunch of stuff. And they've never been tested for DNA. And here we are. And that's what's happening right now. So we lead right up into the present. So, you know, I may look like a fool later because maybe this woman killed her children Maybe she snapped. Maybe the depression got to be too much. I certainly don't believe she did it for any monetary reasons. Um, It would have to be some sort of uh, nervous breakdown situation. But I don't think she did it. Uh, I don't think... I think the sock being I, where it was, yeah. there's a there's too many things like the sock. There's just a few of those. And for for everything that I say that is, someone would have an argument to say, why she did why do it. this... Yeah. And you will totally see two camps divided. And there is a website I found online that is basically dedicated to this woman is innocent. There is a website online that is dedicated to this woman is guilty. And I think that... And it's further evidence why the death penalty should not be on. Because the thing is, is there's enough... Like, there's enough... There's enough doubt where, like, do you you really want to be putting this woman to death do you feel that good about do you feel that sure and i think that's just it you read it and you go oh that really made me think it was her oh that really made me think it wasn't but the reasonable doubt is beyond reasonable to me and i'm really curious to see what happens with these tests and there is no happy ending because these two little boys were killed (sighs) and this woman has had to let's say it was her that's a sad ending let's say it wasn't her why the fuck has she been away from her son all this time, her, yeah. her surviving baby, uh, living in prison all these years? So it's it's uh, a wow. real shitty thing either way. A really sad story, but I'm interest. I'm beyond interested to see what happens next. Totally. Whatever happened to Champagne Dreams? Oh, Champ- great champagne question. Wishes. I'm not sure if that's still. Did in the anyone works. pick that up? Is uh, that a, is that like a is that a business that people might want up to? For grabs? It's up for grabs. Hopefully. But I'm gonna do boat and bone. You oh, you're gonna rename it. Well, I, I don't bone and on a boat. Pat, I'm gonna bone it on a boat. Okay. Thank you for telling that story. That's an insane story. I I I flip flopped as you were telling it. I flip flop as I tell it myself. And now a word from our sponsors. Yes. 
We know you're here because you like listening to people tell stories. We have something super exciting to share with you. It is not a podcast. It is a musical novella called Love in Times of War. It's a beautiful story set to music. It is a 28-cut concept album with 14 spoken word narrations and 14 instrumentals that complement and evolve the story and you can listen to it on Spotify. You can listen to it on Apple Music. You can buy the album. It is written and narrated by Beck Norman. The music is composed by James Keith Norman. It's a story of a pregnant young woman who's lost her lover in a war, and she sets out to raise her child until history repeats itself. It's engaging. It's impactful. It's also featuring Stephen Fry, which is pretty darn cool. But please go listen to Love in Times of War. It's a beautiful story set to gorgeous music, and you won't regret it. When you listen to our podcast, do you sometimes find yourself clenching your jaw? Do me a favor. Give it like a nice relaxing massage the jaw right now. Like use this opportunity to do so because I know when I'm stressed, I clamp my jaw and I've actually had locked jaw where like Mm -hmm. it's locked and it's the scariest thing. And so I'm really excited to be promoting this company, Smile Brilliant, where they help with night guards. Matt and Koa both grind their teeth. It wakes me up when I sleep with them. And it doesn't just wake me up because it's loud. It wakes me up because I'm stressed out that they're damaging their teeth. If you grind your teeth or you clench them, you're doing damage to the enamel. You're inviting infections and cavities. Did you know teeth do not regrow? So after you grind through a part of them, like that's it. That's That's all the teeth you get, friend. If you grind or clench your teeth, just go over to smilebrilliant.com. They have custom fitted night guards and using their lab direct process at a fraction of the price charged by dentists. So let's just get it taken care of today. It's a no brainer. Go to smilebrilliant.com right this minute. Use the code TDC for 20% off. And you know what? Sweet dreams. And we're back. We are. Here we are. We're right here. We're back and front. We're 3D. So sometimes Quinn and I do stories and they're related and it's pretty wild. I'm doing the story. It's not that related, but it takes place in Texas. You're going to say that the protagonist or antagonist had a name that started with the letter D. No, no one. Okay. No one. No, no, one. no D's in this no one. D, no D's. Um, I'm doing the story. Just of- like your life. <laughs> I, oh. Frankly, I have too many D's. <laughs> What's in my pocket? A double D. Oh, candy wrapper. Oh, nice. It was uh, from the shoot. Okay, so I'm doing the story of Carla Walker. I got this information from Wikipedia. People, ugh, distractify. WFAA. So Carla Jan Walker, I want to put you in February 17th, 1974. Think of the fashion. Think of the vibes. Also, what happens around February 17th? Valentine's Day. It's the night of the Valentine's Day dance, y'all. Let's so go. Carla, she's 17 years old. She's going with her boyfriend, this guy Rodney McCoy. Um, so they just go to the Valentine's Day dance at Western Hills High School. After the dance, they go on a little date to Taco Bell. We love. We stand. Do they get Taco Supreme? What was the vibe at Taco Bell? Hard taco, hard shell, soft shell. We don't know. Um then they go to a bowling alley right outside of Fort Worth, Texas, because they have to use the bathroom. Um, but then afterwards, they like sit in the car in the bowling alley parking lot. They're talking. They're kissing. And the two of them are kissing towards the passenger side. So I assume he's driving because sexism is real in 1974. And he's kissing her. And they're like leaning against the passenger door, necking, if you will. Sure. Suddenly... The passenger door opens. They, like, tumble out. Rodney's on top of Carla. He feels bang. He is hit in the back of the head, which we now know he was pistol whipped. In the back of the head. There's blood streaming down his face onto Carla. He can't remember the exact amount of times he is hit in the head. Carla screams, stop hitting him. She is then grabbed by an unknown assailant. He can't see him. You know, he's down, getting hit in the back of the head. Carla is grabbed by a man yelling, I'm going to kill you. She screams for help. She says, Rodney, go get my dad. 
Ronnie is pistol whipped again. He remembers the trigger close to his face getting pulled. Click, click, click. It doesn't go off. He's pistol whipped. He's knocked out. Whoa. The last thing he hears from Carla, Rodney, go get my dad. He passes out from the trauma. He comes to, he's bloody, Carla's gone. He gets in his car, he drives to Carla's parents' house, and he's like, we were just attacked, I don't know what happened to Carla. The police are called, they return to the scene of the crime, they find she's gone, they find her purse is the only thing that they find in the parking lot. They also find a magazine to a gun that fell out. They didn't say this, but I assume it fell out maybe during the pistol whipping, maybe when he was hitting it, and that's why he couldn't click it because there was a specific gun, this, like, 22. You don't care about gun names, but, like, this specific gun, if the magazine falls out, you you cannot shoot anything. Got it. It is February 20th. Three days later, they find Carla Jan Walker's body in a ditch in a nearby lake. Mm. She is dead. There is evidence that she was tortured, raped, beaten, and the cause of her death is strangulation. They do a tox screen. She has morphine in her system that she was injected with. They were able to collect DNA evidence from her bra, but it's the 70s, so there's really not much technology to find any matches. Mm -hmm. They have a couple of suspects. They bring them in for questioning, but nothing happens and the case goes cold. At some point, the police get a letter from someone claiming they know the killer, but that is a fruitless lead that brings them to nowhere. Rodney, her boyfriend, spends the rest of his life reliving the last moments of her death. Going through Rodney, go get my dad. Yeah, yeah. So the case is cold. Then a podcast called Gone Cold talks about this case in 2018. At that point, Carla's friends and family are like, hey, what's, what's going on? They start to sort of petition the show. In fact, they started to petition... Paul Hull's, Paul Hull's show, The DNA of Murder. So mm-hmm. they contact the producers, and 46 years later, in September 2020, Paul Holes agrees to pay for the DNA evidence to be sent out for further testing. Because, again, it hadn't been tested since the 70s, this cold right, case. Right, right. So he sends it to this place called Othram Incorporated. Othram is an American company. And they specialize in forensic genealogy. And so their whole thing is they try to solve unsolved murders. Golden State Killer vibes where they're going on and they're like, can we build your profile backwards? Exactly. And so they have, they find murder victims, you know, John and Jane Doe's. Um, They help law enforcement agencies with tools. um, And they also like, do the Golden State Killer vibes where they find people who are related that they can possibly zero in on the perpetrator. So they get a hold of this DNA evidence that's in her bra. And in addition, they do investigative work on the case by Detective Wagner and Bennett. And they end up finding their way to this guy, Glenn Samuel McCurley. He is 77 years old at the time of this investigation. And so he's a person of he's a person of interest. In fact, he was a person of interest in 1974 when she was murdered. Mm -hmm. They ended up bringing him in for questioning. They found that the ammunition or the magazine that was found in the parking lot matched the specific gun that Glenn Samuel McCurley had access to and had purchased. So they bring him in for questioning. He also lived a mile, like about a mile away from the bowling alley. Mm -hmm. So, like, all of this is working out. They ask his alibi. He didn't have work the night that she was killed, and his wife was out of town. Okay. Also, what's worth noting is that his family, he lived near the Walker family. In fact, his sons, in fact, his kids went to school with Carla's brother. 
So, so they're kind from of the same them? area. He knew of them. It's not, I don't think it's one of those, I don't think it was premeditated. I don't think he was mm. like stalking her. But the fact is, is like, we're going to find out it's him. That's what I'm leading up to. But what's so crazy to me is that he killed this young woman brutally. And it went cold, but his kids went to school with her brother, which means he saw her family. Mm-hmm. Like he, he was around them. And he saw the trauma the that he inflicted on mm-hmm. this family, which is just Brutal. so fucking vile. So he's interviewed in 1974. And of course, they're like, you don't have an alibi. What happened to your gun? He's like, oh, actually, six weeks ago, someone stole it when I was fishing. And they're like, why didn't you report it? And he says, because I'm an ex-con. He was a convicted car thief who lived in that area. I don't know why on earth... They let him go, but apparently he was like, wasn't me, and that was enough for them, and he was oh never God. questioned again. He was 31 years old at mm. the time. Mm-hmm. So the police are zeroing on this guy in 2020. They're like, we think it's this guy. They liked him for the crime, and for some reason, they just didn't have enough evidence to hold him, although his alibi, like, he had access to the gun. He lived, like, it, it, it's shocking. He denies it. Flash forward September 2020. They see DNA evidence that connects him to it that's in her bra. But they have to sort of get his DNA evidence. I think they probably, through genealogy, are like, we think it's this guy. So they have to get DNA evidence to confirm. They go through his trash and they get a McDonald's straw from his garbage, which they DNA test. Which, by the way, just like a plug, nothing tastes as good as like a Coke from a McDonald's straw. Those things are thick and delicious. So they get his (laughs) DNA from the straw and it's a match. But I think because they got it in such like a roundabout way they needed to get it in like a legit way probably like enough to bring him in but i think it wouldn't hold up in court because i don't know if they got a search warrant for it yeah that, the legality is so muddy it's to me. so muddy and it's so like can you just rifle through someone's garbage to get their dna get their dna but they bring him in for the crime and they're like hey we think you did this or maybe they did it under the guise of another thing but they go can you give us your dna and he willfully gives up his dna right to the police which is amazing i feel like he's like it's long enough they can't find me whatever here it is it's 46 years after the fact and he's probably thought he got away with it in fact he probably forgot about it so he they test his dna that he provides It matches the DNA that they find in her bra. He is arrested and charged with capital murder. He initially denies it. He's like, definitely not me. That worked before. Why wouldn't it work again? Right. He goes to trial in August of 2021, pretty recently. And his defense attorney, his defense lawyer is like, listen, this evidence is about 50 years old. Like, you're telling me that that it's legit, that it hasn't been affected, that, like, it's all good. So a bunch of people at the trial, they call a bunch of people to testify, including Rodney McCoy, her boyfriend at the time. So they have a bunch of people that testify against him. They also put into evidence a video of his confession and that he said that on February 17th, 1974, he was drinking whiskey and beers and driving around Fort Worth and he got, quote, carried away. And he's like, I did, I am responsible for what happened to her, but he denies that he beat her, that any of that happening, which... He pistol whipped Ronnie. I can't. I'm sorry. No. So they're in the process of this trial and the testimonies come. His confession comes. And Samuel's like, listen, this isn't looking great. This is not looking good. So Mm -hmm. he ends up pleading guilty before the trial, before the jury is done deliberating. And he is immediately sentenced to life in prison where he remains for the rest of his life. He's 78 years old. Well, and where he's remained the last past year. The past year. God, this is wild. I can't believe the podcast. Thank you, Paul Holes. Well, thank you, This Gone Cold. Thank you, like, This brought Gone it up. Cold. Like, there's really great podcasts to do it. It's but called Gone Cold? I think so, Gone Cold. And cool. so they, like, cover cold cases is my assumption. Great. That's awesome. Um, Go listen. Go support them. They're obviously they're fucking obviously doing, doing pretty good rad work. work. Yeah, that's, like, bringing these cold cases to light to see if anybody has any information which it's not like they had any information. They had all of this stuff there. It's like your case. It's like they have all of this stuff there that's just sitting there ripe for DNA testing. And because I think of like means money. I mean, 
I think something like this case or was another case was like the, um, no, I don't want to say it was this case, but I do know like Law and Order SVU, which I personally love. Um, Mariska Hargitay has been like a true like advocate for mm-hmm. getting these old testing, the mm-hmm. old DNA samples tested. We could solve a lot of cold case crimes, but it's expensive and it's time consuming and it's like, but also there's reports of these DNA testings, these DNA kits or these DNA, this DNA evidence sitting in like water damage mm-hmm. and ruining them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm so glad this was not one of the ruined things and they were able to find this guy, but he's 78 years old. He lived a free life for 46 years. It's right. such bullshit. And I, I do want to leave with one piece of information, which was Rodney McCoy Carla Jan Walker's boyfriend who mm-hmm. was there, he testified at court and he had said, when I saw her, I smiled. She smiled. I did love her. Oh, that's so sweet. And that's the car. That's the story. And that's the story of Carla Jan Walker. Thank you. And I'm glad for her family that this they like finally got closure. They finally got closure. And now they have to go back to all those times they ran into that guy in town and be like, it was you. It was fucking you. Ugh, gross. File. All right, final anecdote. Uh, after I got bit by the tick, I made a online doc appointment, like where mm-hmm. you see the doctor Zoc online. Mm-hmm. And you know how I host all these virtual games? Well, so one of them is a murder mystery, and I have a skeleton filter that makes <laughs> me look like a talking skeleton for the game. And when I go into the doctor appointment, it's I'm interviewing her to be my not interviewing her, but she I, I asked her if she could be my new primary care physician. And she said yes. So I'm meeting her to be like, I'm Quinn. I got bit by a tick. Here's my other problems. Here's my life. When can I make an appointment? And I get the like notice that it's time for the appointment and I open up my computer and I'm a skeleton <laughs> and I'm like. This woman is going to come into this appointment and, like, hang up on me and think that I'm a jokey joker here to, like, do some pranks. Which, frankly, you are, but that's not for the doctor's office. like, how do I look, doc? And I'm, like, this skeleton. (laughs) Like, I could not get it off. And I was, like, sweating so much and being, like, fuck, fuck. But I'm looking at myself and I'm just a skeleton yelling fuck. It was so bad. And I got it off like just in time and was like pouring sweat. She was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I just, uh, never mind. Like I, I was just, a skeleton, but I'm I was a skeleton, but I'm better now. Like, oh God, can you believe? I, I can believe. I let my ex-boyfriend at the time borrow my Zoom or something. Mm-hmm. He borrowed my computer. And now if I'm not properly logged into Zoom, my, my personal Zoom account, like if you just open it, it defaults to his name. At least he didn't write, like, Goofy McBoners. Yeah, but, like, do you really want your ex-boyfriend's name? Like, I'll be, like, in a waiting oh, room and be like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm not, I'm not this far. No, 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 no. It just feels like you're, you're like, I'm just la-di-da, walking around town, just, like, trying to, like, you know, move on. And then it's like, here's your ex-boyfriend's name when you're about to do therapy or, like, go into a meeting or, like. <laughs> so your therapist is like, we have to talk about this. Or, like, I think it even happened when we were had a meeting. I was like, oh, God, this is not me. And then I'd be like, it's my ex. No, it, I had an interview for something and I was like, this is not me. It's my ex-boyfriend. I'm so sorry. So bad. So bad. <laughs> HR would have a fucking field day. So now I'm very, I hate that. I hate it. Dear readers, whether you are your ex, a skeleton, or yourselves, we love you. We love you. And you are exactly who you need you to be today. light up our lives. You give us <laughs> Hey, guys, go have a skip, but don't you smile while you're doing it. Or do the smallest, teeniest, tiniest little smile. Smile.